0: Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. (laughs) A little whistling too, huh? Only my wife's allowed to do that. That's good. That's good. Uh, she's actually in the nursery this morning. I will be bringing her in here in a little while. We're going to do something a little bit different, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. I, um, I'm just so appreciative of what God is doing in us, in the area of worship. Last night, we were here. There's, I think, 20 of us here worshiping, plug for the first Saturday night of the month. We have an amazing time just coming and being in God's presence and worshiping, and uh, Every single time that I uh, come to that, God gives me something fresh and new, and it stirs my heart. And so I'm always thankful that I come and and, am a part of that, the opportunity just to worship God and spend time in His presence. And uh, last night, as I was doing that, I just felt like the Lord was kind of downloading a little bit of stuff on me. So this morning, I'm going to weave that in a little bit into uh, where I'm going in the message. So... Just bear with me in that because there won't be stuff on the screen behind me for, for some of the stuff that I'm saying. But I just felt like just wanted to share this. I, I had this picture of God and us and that he, he's the potter and we're the clay. And so obviously there's a scripture, and I'll read that in a moment, in the Bible about that. And I was feeling that during, you know, during worship sometimes we can feel broken. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I don't mean that we come in and we're just like, oh, I'm just broken, I'm worthless and whatever. It's, it's something that comes in the form of the Holy Spirit coming and just begins to break us down into that place of where we're totally consumed by him and by his existence in our life. And God likes broken. He likes broken. He can use broken. And that's so important for him and that's the place where he can use us. And my thoughts were just in the fact that God uses broken vessels. You know, in the natural, think of a clay pot. Like if you're a gardener, if you put stuff in a clay pot and maybe you put it in your yard. Have you ever had one of those break? They break pretty easy. They're pretty fragile. Whether it goes through the, the winter time and maybe there was some water and it froze and it cracked or whatever it is, but What we normally would do when those clay pots break, we throw them away. We discard them. They're really of no value to us. But the reality for God, when he sees a broken clay pot, a broken vessel, is when he's drawn to that, those broken pieces. And he puts them on his wheel, and he sits down and begins to reshape and remold and build us into something, create something of a masterpiece. He is the artist. He's the potter. He's, and he's the artist. And so an artist can create a masterpiece. And that's when God gets excited about you and I, when we are broken before him, when we come to him and we put everything aside, we lay down all of those things that can get in the way. You know, it's interesting, and if periodically, I just kind of have to use my dog, our, our dog, as an example because he lives with us. He's three months old, and he's always active and always creating activity in our home. And I was thinking about this where he's learned a little bit from me that he's not the dominant one when it comes to him and me, okay? He's very much submissive. He's testing my wife, though. He doesn't want to give up that spot. And it's interesting to watch him. And so he's right now fighting for his place. And I have to occasionally come in and help in that regard to let him know, no, that's not your place. But he's fighting for that in us. And it's interesting, I was thinking about that. I I thought, you know what? That's not how God does things. He doesn't come into our life and try to fight for position. Now, let me say this. God fights for us, but he doesn't fight for us, if I can say it that way. When we're part of his family and we're all in and we're serving him, uh, he's fighting for us 24-7. He's interceding for us 24-7. He's saying, go, I'm with you, I'm going to do this. But when we're making decisions to remove ourselves from him or decide that we don't want to include him in something. He's not going to be there fighting, trying to get his position. He's created us as people of choice. We get to choose kind of who we surround ourselves with and how, and so God's, he's not up there just like, oh man, I've got to get, I'm going to do everything I can. I got to break down everything. I got to get in there and I got to, they have to know, they have to obey me. They have to, they have to. No, that's not God. He comes in and he's a loving God and he just sits back and he waits. He said, okay, I'm going to see where does this go? And at some point, whether it's through a worship service or sometime an experience in our life, we come to that place where we become broken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's right there and he's like, oh, I love broken. Mm. And he begins to bring the pieces in. He begins to bring the brokenness. And he begins to put it on the wheel and he begins to shape. And he begins to mold. Mm-hmm. And he looks back and goes, this is a masterpiece. And he's so, he's so happy <laughs> when he begins to, and when we're responsive to him. And we begin to learn from him, and we begin to learn from the master. We begin to learn what it is to not only love him, but to love others in that regard. And so, um, you know, this morning, and I I just stand here, it's like, I'm a broken vessel. We are broken vessels, all of us here today. And we're, um, God is throwing us on his wheel. He's reshaping us. He's reforming us. This morning we're singing about, we're talking about, there's something God's doing. There's breakthrough. There's something happening that God wants. There's a next level that he's got for us. And I believe if we're willing to be on that potter wheel and that we get rid of ourself and we put all those things aside, ourself aside, and we say, Lord, I'm all yours. I'm all yours. God, use me, however, because that's what he's waiting for. He's not going to force us into anything. He's not going to force us to be used in any particular way. Ted came up this morning and had just mentioned something to me in regards to teaching, that this is a church that has teachers in it. There's a teaching ministry, and just encouraging people to teach, because there's stuff that God's given us, and for us to be involved in teaching and learning, and so that's important for us. And so, God, what is it you have for me? And I see this verse, Isaiah 64 8. And yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. He's the one that makes us, He's the one that shapes us. He's the one that brings life to us and brings value to us. So I was thinking through this, and it just, just kind of came to me last night. It just, He's for us. He's for us, but he loves broken. He can use broken. He can't use the rigid, the ones who are defying and all of those things. He is so good and he's so loving. And and I, I just can't imagine um, life without him. I really can't. So if I could convey that this morning, it's about being broken. And guess what? No matter what we've done in our life, in our past, no matter what sins we've Found ourselves in. He's forgiven us when we come to Him. That is, boy, I tell you, that takes a lot of the stress off. That takes a lot of the pressure off in knowing that that's the kind of God we serve. Amen. I do want to touch on a scripture here, kind of along this line that I do have on the screen, but just for a moment, I want to talk about this because I think when it comes to ourselves, there's a word called self regard or self you could use self worth or in that and w- when we look at ourselves what do we see what do we see yes. do we value who Christ has made us to be yes. is there self regard there do we thank him do we value our life personally enough that out of that we're able to see the value in others yes. you know it's interesting i watched a documentary a few years ago there was a news crew that went in, I guess, stealth or whatever, in, down into Mexico, into the drug cartel, and the, these guys that were, they just killed people, just to put it bluntly. That's, they're, they're just vicious. And, and so they interviewed a couple of these kingpin guys down there. And really, if you really come down to the crux of it and what they were saying, basically the bottom line was, number one, they did not value their life at all all. They had no self-worth. They had no self-regard. So for them to take another life was not a big deal to them because life didn't matter to them. So when it really boiled down to they did not have self-regard, no self-worth, and so they didn't know who they were in Christ. They didn't know what God created them to be. They were just out there serving the enemy, and the enemy had control in that sense over them. And I just thought that was interesting to kind of see that process and so just the fact that we need to have consideration or for ourselves and, and worth of ourselves and look at ourselves, how do we look at ourselves? Do we look at ourselves and just like shake our head like, man, I'm just this horrible person. Woe is me. I'm just, man, I've messed up so many times. I can't imagine. You know, there's no way God's going to love me. And we just kind of put ourselves in that place where we just sideline ourselves from the purposes and the plans of God. And he wants to bring us back onto that wheel. Because he says, I can take broken. I can take the hurting. I can take and I can remake and I can rebuild. And here's a scripture verse I want us to look at in Psalm 139. Starting in verse 14. Psalm 139, 14. It says this. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. And I'm telling you, that's a powerful word. There's, there's a lot of stuff packed in there. Yeah. And I'm not here to unpack all that today. But there's something powerful about when God created each one of us. He had every detail already planned out. Everything that's going to happen in our life. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. And we're, we're very complex people. But he knows all that. He planned all that stuff. He, every day, every moment of our life before we were born has already been planned out. And he knows. Yeah. Yeah. He knows you're going to be seat, seated here today. Woo! I mean, think about that. And that you just might receive something from the service today that would impact your life. Because mm-hmm. he knows when you leave here today, he'll say, that was for you. you that was for you. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah 1.4. God told this to Jeremiah. He says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Can you imagine that? Before conception, even. That's heavy to think about that. And oh, by the way, I mean, because think of yourself there's what, 7.8 billion people in the world. You had one in 7.8 million chances of being you. (laughs) And God, He wanted you to be you. You've got one shot at this life, but he created you with a purpose and a plan to bless you, not to, to curse you and not to tear you apart, but to, to build you up and bring increase into your life. There's, what, 300 now, 330-some million people in the United States. You know, you think you're one of those people. The average age, I looked at this up, the average age of a person in the United States is 38 years old. Anybody 38 in here? Somewhere in that range, 38, 40 so you don't have to raise your hand. You don't want to say, well, I'm that's old. <laughs> Some of you say that's old. <laughs> Others are not. But that's the average age in the United States. The average lifespan in the United States is 75 years. If you lump everybody together, that's average. Some of you are going, praise God for the bonus time. I know my parents, Helen and Carol. Maybe Nyla. I'm not sure. I don't want to start Maria. I don't know. <clears throat> anyway, we got, so we got a few hands here. But it's all part of God's plan. So we can't dictate, you know, what days, you know, when that might happen for us. Every day, 10,800 babies are born in the United States. 10,800. So our country is growing in that regard. Now, on the downside, there's 7,500 people that die every day in the United States. Every day. Death happens around us all the time. A lot of it we don't even see. While we're in church today, in an hour and a half or whatever, 450 people will die, have died in the United States. We think about that. So life is precious for us because we never know. So we need to allow him to put us on that wheel to be broken. Don't delay another day for him to use us to the fullest extent of what he has for us. There's something about, first of all, we value our relationship with God. That is so important. But then we need to also look internally and do we value ourselves? Do we have that self-worth? Do we value ourselves enough that we can come out and say, with the same love that God's put in me and I see that I care and love what God's done in my life, that I can turn and put that and demonstrate that in and put that into somebody else's life. Because it's important for us to have that self-worth, that self-regard, and that value that we can do that. And it's so important for us. So, right now I'm going to transition. So, you know, kind of set this up. So, in this series, Pursuit that we've been doing, each week I've been doing this, I've interviewed, we've talked, I've talked with different people, and it's been awesome. And I'm sure that I've had so much feedback from people saying, wow, this has been great. And the people that I've actually talked with, have, it's meant something to them. But I didn't, in that process, I did not even think about that I would be wanting to have a conversation with my wife up here. But we're going to do that today, and it's going to be, I don't know everything about what's going to happen, but I will tell you, it could be emotional, it could be raw, it could be transparent, all of those things, but it's for a purpose. And so I don't really know everything that's stirring in me and in in my wife, because a lot of things that we're going to talk about this morning, they're so real, and we've lived this. Uh, she 's lived more of it than I have in, in the sense of what you 'll hear this morning, but there 's a, a purpose behind this, and many of you know my wife 's story. many of you know her life story, but for those of you who don 't you 'll hear some things today. I hope that it will help you today in that regard and if you 're visiting with us today we 're family, we love each other, and I will share with you as we get in this kind of another purpose behind what we 're doing this morning so with that, honey, would you come up here? This is my wife, Jane, by the way. She's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Let's get, you okay? She's a little sore because she was tiling yesterday. So this is why we got the comfy chair. Those other ones, you know, the stools, they were a little wobbly, so I did not want to risk us falling off stools today. So again, just kind of bear with us. I've never interviewed my wife, and I don't want to treat this necessarily as an interview, but yet it's a conversation that we'll have. We talk a lot. (laughs) You know, we've been married a few years, almost 38 years, and June will be 38 years, and it's been uh, amazing and wonderful. But I I just kind of want to jump into this, and uh, let's start back, and I'll kind of walk us through this. Here's another thing. So a lot of you know that Jane was adopted at four months old. Anybody here is adopted? no, but you're the only one here that's been adopted. So you'll, I think you'll still get some sense and feel from, from this story. So tell us a little bit about your adoption. What was that like for you? You probably don't remember that, I know.
1: Yeah, I don't, don't remember the day I was adopted, but.
0: Kind of as a, I've give us the, the part of it that the preservation of life, mm-hmm. I think we can go with that. Yes. Because Obviously, very grateful
1: to my parents, for one, for adopting me, and very grateful to my biological mother for not aborting me and forgiving me life. 1963 was definitely a time when back alley abortions were very prevalent, and knowing now what her circumstances were, she could have very easily done that and gotten rid of the pain and the the shame. imposition <laughs> that shame I, too, probably. and the shame that probably was caused by my, my birth but he, she chose not to
0: mm-hmm. she actually knowing the story she actually hid that
1: because of her embarrassment. she never told shame. her parents she actually moved to another community to keep it from her parents even though she had been married divorced and was raising three children alone she moved to another community to hide it from her family, except for one sister, she told, and that was it, for yeah. many, 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 many years.
0: Yeah. So, praise God that, you know, she made a
1: decision, and a
0: tough decision probably for her.
1: Uh, and, just to add to that, she was not supposed to be able to even get pregnant. okay. She had already had thyroid cancer, had, was on medication, had had part of her thyroid removed and basically the doctor said that she would never be able to have any more children.
0: Hmm. Okay, so miracle baby on top of that. So, now let's jump forward about 15 years, and I know this is the hard part for you, and it's difficult, but you went through a period of, uh, in your life about 15 years old where you had this very traumatic thing that happened to you that really changed your life and altered your life for as long as you'll live. The enemy was out to try to bring destruction, so talk just a little bit about, from your perspective, what that was like, if you can. Or do you want me to set that up? Um, yeah. Me? Okay. okay. So, we're just kind of playing off each other here, but, so when Jane was 15 years old, she had found herself in a, in a really bad situation. So, she was raped at 15 years old, At the time, it was very, very traumatic and hurtful and emotional, all the things that she was going through. She, unbeknownst to her at the time, she just wanted to get away and escape because she grew up here, but she moved to Texas.
1: I was already planning on moving.
0: You were already planning on moving. So she moved to Texas, and do you want to take it from there?
1: Yeah. So I knew that the plan was for me to go to Texas very shortly after this happened, within, within a month after this happened. I was already planning on moving there. And I thought, well, the best thing for me to do is just to put this behind me. It's done. It's over. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to move on. Well, after being in Texas for a couple months, I find myself pregnant Hmm. from that rape.
0: So that really impacted you at the time because Mm -hmm. you had to go through decision-making process.
1: Even though I was living with my sister, I was very alone in this process and very distant from my parents at the time. So my sister's first suggestion to me was to get an abortion. And I said, no, Hmm. I'm not going to do that. Sorry.
0: Yeah, that's okay. And you you understood the value of life because you probably thought a little bit about maybe back to when you, Mm -hmm. you know, you're birth mom preserved your life and thinking that process and thinking about here's a life that's being developed inside my body even though everything would suggest yeah. trying to just get rid of that child and move on and we hear that a lot too I mean it's really pumped at us a lot and that's the challenge and so you had to make a choice at that point, what you were going to do. What, yes. what ended up being your choice?
1: Being that I was only 15, I felt like, and very alone in the process. I wasn't getting the support that I needed from my family, really. They were there, but, but not supportive, necessarily. My parents were very far removed from it, so I think that my sister kind of was that buffer between them and me. Um, she kind of put herself there. So because of that, I felt like my best option was to give this child up for adoption and not to try and raise it myself, because what did I have to offer? But at the same time, I was feeling a lot of guilt and shame for doing to someone else what was done to me.
0: Mm. I can imagine that being a tough challenge at the time. Yeah, because you actually were able to, you know, see the baby, hold the baby through the process.
1: I did. I was in the hospital for a week. I would... Sorry.
0: It's okay. I know this is the emotional part.
1: They allowed me to go to the nursery every day and see him and hold him and change him. And Hmm. um, I even took him home the day I left the hospital. Because of the process that I went through, it was through Catholic Community Services, and they actually came to my home to get him.
0: Hmm. Well, that certainly would have been a very tough moment. You know, I can't imagine. I think only a mother knows their, their connection and bond with a child, and given the circumstances, I mean, that was the tough thing, too, because there was a lot of things playing into that for you, and I, and I understand that. And being alone at that age, at 15 years old, that's not something that normally... You know, 15-year-olds are in that, to make those decisions like that. You obviously made the decision to give the child up for adoption. You had written a letter, too, as well. Yes. Explain that.
1: I had written a letter to him to give to his adoptive parents, to give to him at a time when they felt was appropriate for him. I just wanted to tell him my circumstances and why because that's all I ever wanted to know was why.
0: Mm. Yeah. So you had, at that point you had really prayed and asked God and said please let this child go to a Christian home. That yes. was.
1: It was my request too to Catholic Community Services to, put, to place him in a Christian home
0: mm-hmm.
1: and to place him with a family that couldn't have children. Mm-hmm. And I was able to make some of those requests not knowing if they would be fulfilled or not.
0: Sure. So let's move forward a few years. So we, just to cut a lot out, but we, you and I, we get married. uh, There was a lot in there in between because we had a lot of conversations when we were dating. Not something that I was ever expecting to take on in the sense of the emotion of all of that as a young person because I was 19 when we got married, you were 21. Opposite. What? Oh yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) I was the old guy. Yeah, so I was the old 21-year-old, you were 19. Thank yes. you for the fix of that.
1: Well, and early on in our relationship, I just really felt like God told me that you were the one that I, would to mar- I was to marry. And so that's why I felt like I needed to bring you in on my past and my history very early on in our relationship because I didn't want it to get too far down the road and for you to be like, yeah, I'm out,
0: Yeah, I'm and, done. And I think when you told me that was my first thought internally, but I did process it for a couple weeks, and I felt God was speaking to me in that, too, because there was a lot of things going on in me to process that. Now, a few years later, you know, we get married, start having some kids. You really find yourself in a really depressed state. What was that like?
1: Well, I believe that was brought on by a lot of things. I walked for many, many years in a lot of shame hmm. just from what I experienced, um, And then walking through what I did with my dad passing away, a bad accident that we were in. We were in a lawsuit with the city of Seattle. We were in... I had just had um, surgery. I was was hormonal. Believe it or not, I just had Nick. Um,
0: It wasn't his fault. It wasn't Nick's fault. No, he's a good boy.
1: (laughs) But just walking through all of that, I think I just... I just had to go somewhere else. Mm. I felt like I just kind of dove into myself and Mm. had to just kind of bury myself, hide. Yeah. It was just too much. I couldn't take it all.
0: Yeah. And as a husband at that time, I didn't know what to do. We were young. Um, At some point, eventually, I suggested to her to go see a doctor because thinking that after
1: about five years of
0: five years clinical,
1: severe clinical depression
0: yeah so
1: I would get up do what I needed to do go back to bed do what I needed to do go back to bed I mean that's mm-hmm. my was my go-to is just go sleep
0: yeah go and, and raising young kids on top of that raising four
1: children and working part-time and homeschooling and you it did, was, a, you did it was an amazing
0: rough. job with all that I'm just like it, I think back on that it's insane that you were able to do that. Well that was God helping that. But so you went and you found out yeah. something that you absolutely could not believe.
1: I couldn't wrap my mind around it because depression wasn't a thing. I mean it was. To
0: you, you were obviously yeah. it was, but you And thought... I didn't
1: feel like it was a viable diagnosis. I was pretty ticked off at the doctor. I let him have it with both barrels.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Because Christians can't be depressed, but Christians right?
1: can't be depressed because yeah. of my faith in God, because of this, because of that. I felt like you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you move on. Yeah. That was my theory in life in general. Yeah. And so I was pretty upset about the diagnosis and came home and told Steve that I couldn't believe that he told me that. And
0: but we did some research and found out that it checked all the boxes, uh, That for sure. So we prayed and spent a lot of time, and mm-hmm. you got on some medication and different things. And eventually through that process, and actually fairly quickly in that mm-hmm. process, God actually healed you. He did,
1: within a month. At the end of that month, of, he gave me a one-month supply of medication. After I visited the doctor, he called me every day because he felt like I was so suicidal that he wanted to check on me every day and was very afraid that I was going to do something drastic. Mm. And so we decided that while we were doing a family camping trip, I would start my medication. A bad idea. <laughs>
0: hmm. <laughs> At least it was a big campground, so
1: it was a big campground. It was yeah, it was terrible. That was the camping trip from hell. That was oh. that was it was bad. Yeah. I had every side effect that you could possibly have from that medication and it was it was bad. Yeah, so, so, you,
0: can't, so you came out, you we can't, ran out of medication. I ran
1: out of medication at the end of that month and I'm trying to call this doctor, the same one who was calling me every day. I'm leaving messages at his clinic. I'm trying to get a refill or get back in for an evaluation so that I can continue, because it says right on it, do not stop taking this medication. Yeah, right. You have to wean yourself off of it. You cannot just stop cold turkey. It's bad, I mean, they're telling you it's bad if you do this. I could not get in to save my life. And this is a Friday. Um, I think I ran out of medication Thursday or Friday. I'm trying to get in, I'd been trying all that week knowing I was coming to the end of my medication.
0: So Sunday, so Dr. Sunday, Jesus shows
1: up. Sunday, we were starting the tent meetings over at our property. With Danny Benia coming, we were starting this whole thing. Sunday morning, I wake up and I'm whistling, getting ready for church. Mm. And Steve looked at me and he goes, are you whistling?
0: Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that
1: was an oddity.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: After five years of clinical depression, for mm-hmm. sure. And I said, you know, I think I'm just anticipating what God is gonna do.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: you know what? He came through.
0: He did some amazing things. And, he, he and you were healed. And that, that's an amazing testimony. In it in itself that God healed you miraculously. Nope. Now that, that doesn't mean that from time to time you would have a sense of right. okay, I can tell this has come and whatever, but God helped you through that. Absolutely. So that's He awesome. healed
1: me 100%. a hundred percent. That doctor's office never called me back. I never went in for another appointment. Yeah. I never took another pill. Yeah. Nothing. Yep. It was a hundred percent a miraculous healing.
0: Yeah. So that that's a praise the Lord. And to this day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So now let's jump forward a lot of years. Yes. You decided, because you, like you mentioned, your father passed away, and he's been gone probably 28 years, something like 28 that. 28 years. Your mom yeah. was getting toward the end of her life. She mm-hmm. she was had <laughs> dementia and so forth, and she had mentioned in your dad too, but I don't want you to search for your birth mom, <clears throat> uh, your dad mentioned, till after I'm gone, and then Later on, your, your mom said, let's look for her. And then she kind of got cold feet after you started. Mm-hmm. And so at some point, you felt comfortable that it wouldn't be a, 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 detriment. a detriment to your mom in any way. Mm-hmm. She decides that she's going to look for her birth mom. And so the, the adoption records, we got a, a thing in the mail. Was it? that, Or was so it just a... Oh, no, I just read it uh, something public
1: notica- notification. Yeah, that. the
0: adoption records were being open, mm-hmm. and that if you were adopted, you can search for more information about that. At the same time, letters were mailed to all those who gave up adoption saying, if you want your records still sealed and closed, fill this paperwork out. So, well, why not try it? So she filled out the paperwork, sent the $25 in, whatever,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: lo and behold, yes. in the mail, comes back,
1: all the information from my adoption records my mother's name children's names which i already had that but just at least her last name and i kind of already had anything that was non identifying but it gave me all the information that i needed and i still needed to do some research and her name changed over the years and so i did some digging and some googling it's amazing mm-hmm. what you can find on the internet mm-hmm. so I you didn't found need it. to Hire a detective or a <laughs> private investigator to find her. It was very easy to find her, actually. Mm-hmm. And I found the information and I sat on it for a year, mm. stewing about it. What do you say?
0: Yeah, because you don't know anything.
1: I kind of figured out where they lived and all of that. I, and then it's like once you open that door, you can't close it again.
0: <gasps> mm-hmm.
1: You know? But what if you don't like what you find on the other side? Mm-hmm. I didn't know. So you so, called her. Yeah.
0: You called her. And I did. You actually, left a voicemail the first time.
1: I did. I called. I finally, a year later, I made a phone call, with Steve sitting next to me.
0: This was uh, probably two and a half years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh huh. In yep. um, like end of May or something. Yeah. Middle of May. Almost
0: and three years ago now. Yeah, then. it'll be almost okay. three years.
1: Yeah. And I, I called and no answer, so I left a voicemail and just said that I was doing some genealogy and that we might be related and wanted to ask her a few questions and if she wouldn't mind calling me back, that that would be great.
0: But she didn't call you back.
1: And she didn't call me back.
0: So you tried again while well, you were sitting on the couch one day. So,
1: yep, I was, I had just come in, in the middle, it was June 1st,
0: hmm.
1: wasn't it? Yep, June 1st. And I come in and I was, Had been running around all morning and I was sitting on the couch in my living room by myself, home by myself. And I was just trying to decide what I was going to do next, what project I was going to work on next. And the Holy Spirit just said, call her now. I'm like, call who now? Call her now. Oh, call her now. It had been a couple of weeks since I had done that. And, you know, I'm always, I was thinking about it, but I didn't know that I was ready to open that door still. So I called her. I just, without thinking, I just dialed the number, and I called her, and she answered.
0: Oops. (laughs) No
1: plan in place as to what I was going to say. And so I just started with, hi, my name's Jane. I left you a voicemail a couple weeks ago. about." And she said, oh, yes, my daughter said I should call you. And I said, well, I don't know how to say this other than just come out and say it. But I was born in Kennewick, Washington on March 13th, 1963. And I think that you might be my biological mom. And it was silent <laughs> on the other end. Yeah, I right. understand that. The mm. silence. <laughs> she was probably in shock. Mm. So I said, um, I don't want anything from you, and I don't want to wreck your life. I just want to tell you thank you. Thank you for giving birth to me. Thank you for not aborting me. Thank you for giving me life. Mm. And it was still silent. And I said, you know, I so appreciate the parents that I was given. And she chimed in and she said, I just want to know, did you have a good life? Mm. That was her biggest concern for me was, did you have a good life? Mm. And I said, yes, I had a great life have nothing to complain about I've had a great life and um, we talked for probably an hour answering questions from each other and going back and forth and we had a great conversation that day mm-hmm. about six six weeks later I got to meet her face to face
0: she had mentioned though on the phone she said I've kept the same phone number for 50 years just in case you ever called me yes yeah
1: yeah that's right.
0: So we did. In August, we went to see her and meet her face-to-face, mm-hmm. which was great. And you it was to... a little awkward. It a was little, a little hard. A little bit.
1: But then we went back this last August and spent more time with her. And I got to meet an aunt, one of her sisters, the one that she confided in, mm-hmm. wanted to meet me so badly. So she drove four hours at 81 years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a big deal. And drove and met me and I got to meet a brother-in-law because I have a sister that I also met the first time and we've texted her to call once in a while and talked to each other. And mm-hmm. I you had come. two brothers who have passed.
0: Yeah, So that's a great yeah. uh, experience, obviously. Yep. So you've got to feel <laughs> from what that whole experience was like yep. uh, from the perspective of somebody who was adopted. So for now to a couple months ago... Yep. What happened? Give a nutshell of what happened a couple of months ago. So,
1: we were, um, it was a work day and Steve and I go different directions a lot of times during the day. And I was working on some stuff and had gotten home and was getting ready to start dinner and was flipping through my emails. And I got this weird email from somebody that said that they had a personal matter that they wanted to discuss with me. And um, I was like, "Hmm, I don't know what this is about. And so Steve walked in the door a few minutes later and I said, hey, I got this weird email through the church website. And I I have no idea who this person is. I can't imagine what personal matter they would have to discuss with me. This is weird. And he's like, "Uh, what was the name? And I told him the name and he goes, did they leave a number? I said, yep. So he's looking at his piece of paper, and he goes, "Oh, I got a voicemail from that same person, and they left the same number Here So at the, church, yeah. at the church. So they had left a voicemail and an email. So I said, well, I suppose we better call them and find out what this is about. And, you know, I'm thinking church-related. I'm thinking back. I'm thinking everything but what it was. And so... So He said, Well let's do it. Well we had another meeting that we were needing to go into that night and I was like, you know, we were supposed to eat dinner and do all this stuff and I'm like, he said, it'll just take a couple minutes. Let's just do it. All right. So we call. I make Put the phone call. Phone. I've got it on speakerphone. Hi, this is Jane Bradley with City Life Church. Um, you left a message for me at the church today. Is you know, is this Scott? Yes. Is this and you also sent me an email that you had a personal matter to discuss with me. And he said yes. And I said, well, great. I said, how are you doing tonight? Good. Yeah. So, so what is it? How, how can I help you? And there was this long pause and hemming and hawing on the other end. And he said, said, the... well, I was born in Borger, Texas, on March 11th, 1979. And I was like, are you kidding me? I couldn't believe it, you know. It's, um, Steve and I have talked about this for many, many, many years. What if? What if mm-hmm. he finds me? What if he looks for me? What yeah. if? Oh, and it was the son. By the, sun. W-
0: by the yeah. way, too, uh, over the years, we, uh, as we raised our kids, we talked to all of our kids about this uh, from the time that they could understand. So they were all, they all were all totally aware of the story of everything we're talking about. Yes. So in that regard. Always uh, been
1: very upfront with my kids. It was
0: helpful. So when he said that, you know, I was born such, such day, whatever, I could tell Jane was, just got real emotional. So I couldn't. couldn't, So I just said, hey, Scott, this is Steve. I'm her husband. Maybe I can talk to you for a minute because she needs a She needs a little bit of a time here to kind of gather herself. So we talked for a few minutes, and then Jane was eventually able to chime in. But that was the experience of Mm -hmm. the opposite. You're on, like, what your mother went through, and you're on the other side of the phone.
1: And he said almost exactly the same thing that I did. He just, he approached it the same way. It was amazing. It was... um,
0: So 41 years later, basically, your son finds you. Yes. He is living in Texas. He's married, has four kids. He
1: actually grew up about two hours, two and a half hours from where he was born.
0: Yeah, and raised by Christian parents, by the way.
1: And raised by Christian parents. So we talked for about an hour that night, and we've been talking on the phone and texting back and forth. So that was a Wednesday night. By Sunday morning, I'm getting texts from him hey, Alyssa's in the hospital, she's ready to have a baby.
0: This was their daughter. This
1: is is his, um, so he has four children, and at that time, two grandchildren, (laughs) and then this is three days later, he's having his third grandchild, and he's texting me, we're at the hospital, we're about to have a baby, here's pictures, here's birth weights, here's, and it was just unbelievable that all of a sudden, here I am, a part of their world, my as a gr- yes. great grandma, I can't a great-grandmother.
0: believe it. Great <laughs>
1: grandmother, yes, yes.
0: <laughs> That's crazy. So you obviously you're connecting, and yes. then over time yes. they get to meet our kids through FaceTime. I think was that on a Christmas
1: Christ- Christmas Christ- Eve? I suggested because we've talked about as we were talking on the phone all these times. He's like, "Hey, one of these times we need to FaceTime." I said, "Yeah, we do." So I text him a couple days before Christmas Eve, and I said, "Hey, on Christmas Eve, do you want to FaceTime?" He said, "That's a great idea." So we did. So we set it up that Christmas Eve we would FaceTime and went around the house and he got to see his siblings. Yeah. All of our kids were there and all the grandkids were there and it was pretty awesome for them. And he texted me later that night and said, thank you so much for that. Just getting a glimpse into your world just made my Christmas.
0: Mm. Made his life, actually. I mean, because he... He never known any blood relatives at all, right. period, until right. now. That was right. like 41 years later. Yes. So that's a huge deal. Yes. So that's awesome. And uh, we'll conclude here. You know we went long, but another part of the reason we're sharing this yes. is here's the deal what the enemy meant for evil, God has turned for good, is pretty cool. So in all of this, they, Scott and his wife, and their two youngest kids, and I think they're 14, 15, something in that nature 16 and
1: 14. Si-
0: 16, 14. They will be here next Sunday. Just just so, yeah. Yep. So I wanted to kind of set that up for you guys because it might be a little strange if you guys didn't know and they're going to be here and then like, oh, who are you? Where are you from? From Texas. What are you doing here? Well, you know, how that. So this is good. Now you guys can be a part of the family of... Of that, so when Scott mm-hmm. and is it Ra- Raquel? Raquel, Raquel, mm-hmm. and there t- and
1: Caleb and um, Zaylee.
0: Not Caleb; he's the older. No, Caleb. Oh, okay.
1: Michael's the older one.
0: Well, who's the basketball player? Caleb. Oh, he'll be here. Yes. Oh, so I just saw some pictures on Facebook. So Caleb just won. He's on the, plays high school basketball. He's on the all conference team or whatever for high school down in that area of Texas. So he must p- be pretty good at basketball. So. Floyd
1: Data. Floyd is, data, Texas with, is where they live. Anyway,
0: so with that, hmm. I would like to thank you for allowing us to kind of
1: yes.
0: do this this morning, and, I, and hopefully this has helped a little bit in some of you and some of the things that just to see that God is so faithful and so good. He's so and, redemptive. And redemptive, mm. and every life matters, because mm-hmm. I think about Scott and his you know his wife and their kids and grandkids and that would have never happened obviously it wasn't for you making that decision it wouldn't happen if your mom birth mom didn't make that decision so there's a lot of things that play out in the life that we have and the opportunities mm-hmm. are pretty incredible so again thank you Jane because you I know this isn't your favorite thing to do by any stretch but I appreciate you being willing to spend the time with, with your church family mm-hmm. yeah thank you Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast.